Well, it is that busy time of the year, and uh, Bible school has kind of kicked it off around here. And I know many of you got a lot going on in your lives, too. And uh, if you're a basketball fan, this is the time of the year also. And uh, uh, for the men professionally, the NBA finals are going on. And maybe that means a little bit more to some folks in the Charlotte area right now because the Charlotte area's own Steph Curry is uh, leading the Golden State Warriors uh, in their quest for uh, back to back. Uh, titles. And as I was thinking about uh, the finals uh, that are going on, the basketball, and thinking about the, the, the subject of, of, of our t- teaching time uh, this morning about ex- offering or extending grace to others, uh, I thought about uh, a player that some of you are, are familiar with from perhaps another generation, uh, Rudy Tomjanovich, uh, Rudy T, as he was uh, affectionately called. He was an all-star player in the NBA, eventually became a head coach of the Houston Rockets, led them as a head coach to bas- back-to-back uh, uh, NBA titles. Uh, but for all of his accomplishments uh, on and around the court, uh, what Rudy T is perhaps uh, best known for, unfortunately, is a, is a very difficult incident. It uh, occurred when he was a 25-year-old playing in the NBA. He was uh, part of a, of a team, and in the midst of a, just an ordinary game, a fight broke out. And Rudy T kind of was one of those that rushed onto the court trying to kind of, you know, peel folks off, kind of break up the fight. And in his rushing out there, a player from the other team, not even seeing him uh, fully, just sensing his back there, just whirled around and hit him in the face with a punch that uh, at the time was called uh, the punch that could be heard uh, around the world. That punch was so devastating that it fractured Rudy's skull, broke his bones and his cheekbones. It uh, nearly killed him. And although it took Rudy uh, months to recover, he eventually recovered and tried to resume his playing career. One time after the incident, a reporter was interviewing him and he asked him, Rudy, have you ever forgiven the player that did that to you? Have you ever forgiven him? He caused you all that, all, all that pain without hesitation. Rudy immediately answered, absolutely. I've totally forgiven him. The reporter looked at him and, and shook his head and a bit perplexed. He said, come on, Rudy. He said, listen, that guy nearly killed you. He caused you all this pain. He stole part of your career. Do you mean to tell me you don't have any anger, any hatred, any bitterness toward this guy? Rudy smiled and said, I don't have any at all. The reporter stared at him in disbelief. And he finally asked, Rudy, tell me, how'd you do it? How could you possibly forgive that man who hurt you so badly? Was Rudy's response. I knew if I wanted to move on with my life, I had to let it go. I didn't do it for him. I did it so that I could be free. What Rudy T. realized is what many of us come to realize in life's journey. That when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to extending or offering grace to somebody else, forgiveness always sets a prisoner free. The thing that we discover along the way is that the prisoner was actually me.
I'm the one who gets set free through the power of forgiveness. And perhaps that's one of the reasons that God's Word calls us over and over and over again to be people whose lives are marked not only by receiving God's amazing grace, but offering that grace to others. Ephesians 4, 32, one of the many, many examples in Scripture. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. But here's what I have found through the years of of walking alongside people is that while many folks, particularly if you hang out at church every once in a while, we we tend to give a head bob to forgiveness. We tend to to like the concept and and are are kind of for it in a sense. But what happens is that when it when it comes into our lives when those that hurt and the pain and, and and all the messiness of relationships and lives enters in and then when we try to actually engage in forgiveness sometimes it gets all knotted up and what i have found is that a lot of the reason that it gets knotted up is that there are a lot of people including a lot of people who hang out at church who have a lot of misunderstandings a lot of misconceptions about the true nature of forgiveness. And because of misunderstandings and because of misconceptions, they kind of end up multiplying misery in their life. And so what I want to do this morning is is talk a little bit about offering grace to others. And this is such a a deep subject with kind of so many trails. There's no way we could do it justice in a few moments. But I just, I have found in my teaching ministry, I need to come back to this subject regularly because people are dealing with it all the time and those misconceptions and misunderstandings have a lot of people knotted up in life and what I hope is that maybe we can clear up a a few along the way and maybe point you toward at least the, the the beginning of the pathway toward genuine forgiveness And so maybe since we're talking about misconceptions, it might be good just to start off with a quiz this morning, all right? Real simple quiz. It's there in your note-taking guide. We're not going to take them up. We're not going to grade these or anything, all right? So you can just relax. Don't have to cheat off your neighbor's paper or anything like that. But what I'm just going to ask you to do, I'm going to give you five quick statements, and then you just either say true or false, true or false. Don't shout it out, but just kind of circle, T or F, T or F, Uh, because uh, sometimes it just helps to say, what do I really understand or think about forgiveness? Not what am I supposed to think, but kind of what's my gut level response to these statements? Here we go. First one, a person should not be forgiven until they deserve it. A person should not be forgiven until they deserve it. True or false? Second question, forgiving includes minimizing the offense and the pain caused. I'm going to forgive. i got to kind of minimize the offense. Third, forgiveness automatically includes restoring trust and reuniting a relationship. Is that true or is it false? Have I truly forgiven if the relationship's not restored? Fourth statement, 
You haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten the offense. Sometimes the shorthand of this is forgive and forget. You haven't really forgiven until you have forgotten the offense. Fifth statement, last one we'll look at. When I see someone else hurt, it is my duty to forgive the offender. When someone else has been hurt, it's my duty to forgive the offender. I kind of hold those, those, your answers kind of in cue there, and we'll unpack them here in just a moment. But again, I want to revisit the foundation. Why are we talking about this? Kind of what's the standard of forgiveness? Colossians 3, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive Think about the Ephesians passage, the Colossians passage. You put that together with a whole lot of other passages in Scripture. And it's just a reminder that for those of us, as we're talking about this amazing thing called grace that God uh, visits in all of our lives, this multifaceted jewel, in the same way that we have been offered grace, we've been offered forgiveness by God, God desires that we offer grace and forgiveness to others. So God was kind of the standard setter, God's the the, the trailblazer, God is our model for offering grace and forgiveness, and it is as we are recipients of God's amazing grace that we are empowered to offer that grace to others. But if we're going to do it, we got to know what we're doing. We kind of got to know what we're talking about. So let me spend just a few moments kind of talking about the negative, what forgiveness is not. And then I want to shift gears and and kind of give you at least a beginning point for kind of the trailhead, if you will, of this pathway uh, toward forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a lot of things that sometimes in our culture, even church culture, people assume it to be. First of all, forgiveness is not earned or deserved. It is not something that I earn or deserve by my behavior or by my apology or by uh, repentance or whatever it may be. In fact is, if you look at the way that God forgives us, it's quite the opposite. We could never earn it. There's nothing I could do to ever earn God's forgiveness. There's no amount of good deeds that I could do that would somehow, God would look down and say, he did enough, he deserves to be forgiven. No, no, no. Forgiveness is not about something earned or deserved. If we only offer forgiveness to people who earn it or deserve it, we're not going to be given a whole lot of forgiveness, are we? And we sure aren't going to be receiving any along the way. Forgiveness is not earned or deserved, but it it does not also, it's not about minimizing the the, the seriousness of the offense. And this this is what I find sometimes folks struggle with. I say, you know, if if I forgive, it's almost as if I'm saying that didn't matter or that didn't really hurt. And because it did matter and because it does hurt, we don't, we don't want to go down that pathway of forgiveness. That's not genuine biblical forgiveness. Please understand, when God extended grace to us, he wasn't, say, he wasn't saying, wink, wink, it's no big deal. I mean, sin is a big deal. 
It is cosmic high treason against the holiness, against the righteousness, against the love of God. It is the biggest of deals. It was such a big deal that God sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. If he was just trying to minimize sin, he wouldn't have had to send Jesus. There wouldn't have had to been a cross. But because it's such a big deal, because it is very, very serious, Jesus went to the cross. Please hear me this morning. Because when you hear a call to forgive, it's not about saying it didn't matter and it didn't hurt. Actually, true forgiveness acknowledges it does matter and it did hurt. And maybe it still hurts doesn't minimize it looks the offense square in the eye and calls it what it is but it is willing to move beyond it forgiveness is not about earning or deserving it's not about minimizing forgiveness is not restoring a relationship without changes and again this is where i find and we're going to unpack this here in just a moment this is where i find a lot of folks can get hung up because they say, well, I'm not going to forgive until they do dot, 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 dot. Right? Forgiveness and reconciliation are not exactly the same thing. Now, there is no reconciliation without forgiveness. But reconciliation and forgiveness are not exactly the same thing. Let's, let's unpack that just a little bit. Restoring a relationship requires forgiveness. If I'm the one that's been offended, I have, to, I have to be willing to forgive. I have to choose to forgive. But for a relationship to be restored, and I'm not talking about minor offenses here, you know, well, you, you forgot to pick up the bread or something. I mean, you know, that, that's this, those, those things you kind of you just cover with grace and you let, it, you let it roll off your back, right? I, I'm talking about some of those more major offenses, Something that deep and personal with, with great hurt. It requires forgiveness plus repentance. Repentance. Uh, a change of mind that, that leads to a change of direction. So when the gospel was proclaimed, some of the first words in Jesus' public ministry was repent. Repent and believe. He was already, had already put into motion those things that were going to pay and make possible our forgiveness. But in order for that relationship to be restored, that forgiveness had to be met with a repentance. A repentance, a, a turning of the way that we look, uh, a, a turning of the way that we're thinking that leads to a change of direction. If there's a serious offense, if there is a, a pattern of offense, there's going to have to be a change of direction before there's going to be a full restoration of that relationship. And sometimes as a part of that repentance, there is a need for restitution. There's a need for restitution. Now, this is not always the case, but when and where it's possible, part of restoring a relationship is trying to make restitution. So that if I've done something, and maybe just finances is the easiest thing to understand, 
It's cost somebody something. When and where possible, I am to make restitution. And when God was even giving instructions uh, to the Hebrew people about their life together, and that's, you find that in the Old Testament, there were some, some guidelines for making restitution, for seeking to, to kind of help make that relationship right. Repentance and when and where possible, restitution. Uh, but there also has to be a rebuilding of trust. As very often, and particularly in the context of a relationship, when there is an offense, there is not only the hurt and the pain, but there is a breaking of trust. And when that trust has been broken, it has to be restored. And this is what I need you to hear this morning. Rebuilding trust takes time. It takes time. Trust can be broken in a moment. But the rebuilding of that trust takes time. You can break a bone in a moment, right? But to have that bone heal takes time. And oftentimes some outside structure, a cast or something, to hold it in place or rods or something to give it support until that healing has taken place. It takes time. Now, please hear me. This is, again, where I've seen a lot of folks get, get hung up. Uh, and sometimes as the offended, sometimes as the offender. Sometimes they'll say something like this. Well, they haven't really forgiven me because I haven't been restored to this position. Or I haven't been entrusted with this uh, level of, of responsibility or trust again. Or they keep asking these questions or whatever it might be. That doesn't mean they haven't forgiven you. That just means that you have to rebuild trust. Forgiveness can be extended in a moment, but trust has to be rebuilt over time. That goes back to that repentance. Has there been a change of direction, and does this change of direction continue over time? Forgiveness and restoring the relationship are not exactly the same thing. Sometimes when teaching on this, I'll, I'll, I'll use this, this phrasing. Forgiveness, if I'm the offended one, forgiveness depends upon me. Reconciliation depends upon we. There has to be this, this, this meeting of our lives for this relationship to be fully restored. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Fourth, it is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting what happened. Uh, again, I have talked with too many people who they've heard that phrase, forgive and forget, and they are beating themselves up. I can't forget it. Well, please understand kind of what, what that terminology means. It doesn't mean that somehow you push the delete button and that's removed from the file of your brain, all right? In fact, is in many ways, that's not even physically uh, possible, right? But, but it does mean that even though I may have a mental recollection of it, I'm not going to continue to think about it. It's not going to be something that I continually have front and center. It's not something that, that I'm going to continue to have as kind of the first part of our relationship going forward, that I'm going to move beyond that. When, when Paul uh, wrote in the, to the Philippians, he talked about forgetting those things which lie behind. It's not that he couldn't remember those things. In fact, is if you read his letters, he remembered them. He remembered his former life. He remembered things that he did. It was part of his story. It was part of his testimony. He didn't like have no capacity to remember them. He said, but he did say, I'm putting them behind me. 
I'm putting them behind me so that I can move forward. And that, that is what, what real kind of forgetting means in genuine forgiveness. It not, it's not beating ourselves up, oh, I still remember that, so I haven't forgiven them. That's not true. Fifth, it is not. Forgiveness is not my right when I wasn't the one who was hurt. Let me pause here for a moment. Forgiveness is not my right when I wasn't the one who was hurt. We are, I think it's actually this very week, approaching the one-year anniversary of the shooting at Charleston's Emanuel AME Church. Do you remember that last year's summer? Nine people lost their lives at the hands of 21-year-old Dylan Roof. And people were just kind of watching. And based on what folks had seen in other parts of the country, there was an expectation that this city was just going to explode, that there was going to be rioting and all of these things. But there wasn't. And I think one of the reasons that there wasn't is because you had family members stepping forward. Family members who acknowledged, they didn't minimize the pain. They said, you took this from me. I will never be able to talk with her or see her again. They did not minimize the pain, but they said, I forgive you. I forgive you. They, they offered grace. Now, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to hear. That was their right, their calling as a family member who had lost a loved one. For you and I to sit in suburban Charlotte and say, well, I forgive him. That's not your right. Because it didn't happen to you. Similar situation a few years earlier. As some of you may remember a shooting in Paducah, Kentucky in school. And one of the things that happened out of that that and I, I, I'm just going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I think it was probably, you know, some students or others that thought this was the Christ-like thing to do. But almost immediately, they're holding up signs saying that they forgive this offender. Now, family members hadn't even hardly started the processing of their grief. It wasn't a bystander's right to hold up a sign to say, I forgive you. It is something that the family members have to go through. That had to be part of their journey. It's not my right when I wasn't the one who was offended to give forgiveness. And by the way, if I can just circle back to the, the, the situation in, in, in Charleston, please understand that judicial process is continuing to move forward as well it should. Just because forgiveness has been granted doesn't mean all the consequences of our actions have been removed. Just because uh, someone forgives us doesn't mean that, uh, that there are just inevitable consequences. There are things that are natural outgrowths of sometimes my sinful, selfish choices. And when that happens, I am still very likely to experience and have to endure and maybe have to live with the rest of my life some of the consequences of my choices. Forgiveness does not remove automatically all of the consequences. Sometimes people want to manipulate. 
well, if you truly forgive me, I shouldn't have any of these consequences. That's not, that's not what Scripture says. David was absolutely forgiven by God for what he did with Bathsheba and her husband. But the consequences he unleashed in those actions reverberated through his family and through the kingdom all the rest of his life. Forgiveness does not automatically remove all of the consequences of our choices. Well, okay, Jeff, you've already messed me up here because I kind of had some of those. That's kind of what I thought or believed, that forgiveness is some of those things. If forgiveness is not one of those things, then what in the world is genuine forgiveness? Well, again, this subject is so deep, and, and there's so many, so many layers. I can't do justice to it this morning, but I just want to kind of give you four markers, if you will, four things that, that may help you as you begin to think about practicing genuine forgiveness. And the first, and this is why we're talking about it in this whole th- sermon series on amazing grace, the first is remembering. Genuine forgiveness starts with remembering. Remembering how much I have been forgiven. Back to the Ephesians passage. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So it always begins by remembering. When I remember how much I have been forgiven, it, it gives me the motivation, it gives me the empowerment to be able to extend grace, to be able to extend forgiveness to others. When I tend to forget how much I have been forgiven, when I tend to forget the seriousness of my offense and my sin against God, I tend to get much less forgiving to others. The more I remember, the more forgiving I become. You remember one of the parables that Jesus uh, told? He, he talked about this guy who had this, this, this incredible debt. I mean, he was such a huge debt that if he had 100 lifetimes and worked those 100 lifetimes and gave everything back, he still would have never been able to repay the debt. I mean, it was this unbelievable debt. And the, the guy in authority, the king, the, the holder of the debt forgave him. And then what was shocking was then this guy gets out. He's been set free. He gets out, and he finds somebody that owes him in comparison just just a little thing. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't a debt. It was a debt. But compared to what he had owed, it was nothing. And he's raking this guy over the coals and going to force him to pay it back and going to throw him into prison and all these things. And in the story Jesus told, the the, the the holder of the original debt hears this and ends up hauling that guy back because he didn't remember. He didn't remember how much he had been forgiven. What I find sometimes is that there are people who are very unforgiving. Those tend to be people who do not know, do not appreciate, or do not remember how much they have been forgiven. When we truly understand the horror of our sin against a holy God, against his love, against his righteousness. When we begin to understand sin for what it is, the more forgiving we become. It begins by remembering, remembering how much we have been forgiven. But then it moves on to relinquishing. A genuine forgiveness includes relinquishing, relinquishing my right to get even. Paul wrote to the Romans, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. 
And then he gives some counsel. This is going to help you to be able to do that. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. When Paul was writing about love, one of the characteristics, one of the markers of love is that love keeps no record of wrongs. Does that mean that, it, it, that it, we, we forget all the wrongs that were ever done to us? No. It just means I, I, I give up. I release the right. I relinquish the right to get even. There is something in us that, that in our flesh there's, there's retaliation, Right? That's another reason why when God was giving instructions to the Hebrew people about how they were going to do life together, you read some of those Old Testament things, and again, somebody says, oh, yeah, the Old Testament says eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That wasn't saying you have to do this. This was actually a limiting thing. It was to limit the, the, the vengeance. It was to limit the, 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 the amount that somebody would seek to pursue in, in trying to, to exact justice along the way. He gave those guidelines, and not, not to say you have to get an eye for an eye, but to say that you, you don't go beyond this. Don't continue to seek this vengeance along the way. Well, let me, let me try to talk about it in, in these terms. Relinquishing my right to get even, again, doesn't say it isn't hurtful, doesn't mean it doesn't demand justice. It just says, God, instead of seeking this myself, I'm going to release them to you. I'm going to relinquish this to you. One writer tried to describe it this way, and I I think it was, was, it's kind of a good word picture. He said, you know, when when you kind of, you're seeking justice or revenge it's kind of like you're going to throw that person in jail right and you, you you've pronounced sentence you're you're judge jury and now you're going to kind of execute justice you're going to throw them in jail but here's the problem you're also the jailer and the only way that you can keep them in jail is you have to continue to be there 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 days a year you have to keep showing up to keep them in jail. Part of forgiveness is transferring them to Jesus' jail. It's just saying, God, I'm going to relinquish my right. I'm not, I, it's not about me seeking vengeance. I'm going to turn this over to you. God, I'm going to trust you with this hurt. I'm going to trust you with this offense. I'm going to trust that you're going to deal with it in a perfect way. You're going to deal with it with your grace, with your mercy. You're going to deal with it with justice. God, I'm just going to relinquish this to you. Let me go back to Rudy T. Forgiveness always sets a prisoner free, only to discover that the prisoner was me. There are some of you here that have been occupying the warden's seat for a long, long time. And maybe what's beginning to dawn on you is that you're actually the one that's still captive. And until you're willing to transfer them out of your penal system and relinquish them to God, you're never going to be set free. Genuine forgiveness remembers. It remembers how much I've been forgiven, but it also relinquishes. It comes to the point of it's willing to move on. Charles 
B. Flood wrote a book, Lee, the last years, talking about Robert E. Lee. And he's reported that after the, the Civil War, Robert E. Lee was visiting some folks in Kentucky, and there was a, a lady there who took him to the remains of a, of a grand old tree in front of her house. It would, you know, who knows how many years, perhaps hundreds of years, this old this tree was. And she was so bitter, and she was crying over this tree, and its limbs and its trunks had been destroyed by Union artillery shelling, and, and, and it, just, it was just standing there as this, as this testimony of, of, of the wrong. And, and she, she was bitter, and she was kind of wanting Lee to, to kind of join in the, the crying or, or condemn the North or something. And after a few moments of looking at the, the tree, Robert E. Lee turned to this woman and he said, cut it down, my dear madam, and forget it. Cut it down and move on. Yes, the tree had been totally destroyed. But if she kept looking at it and going back every single day, it was just going to destroy her. There comes a point you just got to cut it down and move on and it may be for some of you here that part of the pathway to freedom is for you just to say God I'm relinquishing this to you I'm turning this over to you today cutting it down I'm not going to revisit this tree every day I'm going to cut it down and I'm going to move on I'm going to move on A third marker on kind of the trailhead of this pathway of genuine forgiveness is choosing our response, responding to evil with good. Responding to evil with good. Paul wrote to the Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Perhaps the exact opposite of what what would be the anticipated response. Jesus taught it this way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. There is a choice that I begin to make that instead of seeking vengeance, I'm relinquishing that to God. And by God's enabling, empowering grace, I'm going to choose to begin to respond to evil with good. Now, please do not mishear me at this point. There is a wisdom component here as well. There may be, there may be those folks in your life, if there's, if there's been a situation where there's, let's say there's been a, a physical or uh, other types of abuse, whether there's, there, there's been some things that have taken, taken place that, that wisdom dictates that you, you do not end up in the same room with that person again. All right, hear me. But you can still pray for him, can't you? You can still choose not to curse when their name comes up. Wisdom dictates there's, there, there's some boundaries. Forgiveness doesn't mean you just throw all that out. But it means instead of dwelling on instead of thinking about instead of even wishing evil upon them 
God, by your enabling grace, and it's going to take his grace. Please hear me. Please hear my pastor's heart on this one. Some of you have walked through some stuff, and that hurt is so severe. And please don't walk out of this room hearing that I am minimizing that at all. I am, that is not my intention. But I'm just saying for you to be set free, for you to experience some of the healing grace that God wants to bring, you're going to have to move beyond seeking vengeance and even be willing to, to act in good. Doesn't mean you trust them. That trust may never be rebuilt. Doesn't mean you don't have proper boundaries. But it just means instead of repaying evil with evil, you supernaturally empowered begin to respond with good. And then a fourth kind of marker on this trailhead, on the pathway of forgiveness, is repeating the process as long as necessary. You continue to repeat the process as long as is necessary. Matthew's gospel records this encounter, Peter and Jesus. And sometimes when you read these, it sometimes almost seems comical as you you think about it. Peter comes up, and and Peter's probably feeling pretty good because he's he's, he's asking Jesus a question, but even in the asking of the question, he's kind of positioning himself pretty well. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, and many folks feel like the, the, the common religious teaching of the day was, was about half of that or less. And so, uh, so, so Peter's seeming real, real big at this point. He's thinking, man, this, watch this, guys. I am one spiritual dude, right? I'm going to ask him this, and it's going to be like twice of the, the religious standard of the day. And Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 seven times. Some translators even talk seven times 70. Now, please hear, Jesus wasn't saying, now I want you to carry a notepad with you, and it is one, two, when you get to 78, that's it, no more. No, no. no it was he, this word picture of you just keep going. You keep repeating the process. You keep releasing. You keep relinquishing. You keep responding you keep remembering along the way one of the things this reminds us of and again this is one of those misconceptions forgiveness is not just a one-time event i said earlier forgiveness can be extended in a moment but that doesn't mean that moment doesn't have to be repeated forgiveness oftentimes has to take place again and again and again so that, that when, when that comes back to your remembrance, and again, this is where I find people beat themselves up. They said, you know, I thought back here, I genuinely forgave them, but now I heard this or something happened or their name came up in a conversation and I got, I got flooded all over again with these thoughts and emotions and I must not have really forgiven them back here. No, 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 no. You just have to repeat the process. Every time it comes up, You have to repeat the process. You have to remember how much you've been forgiven. You have to turn them over uh, to God. You have to to choose how how can I appropriately respond to evil with good. You have to continue to repeat the process. It may not happen in just 
one cycle. The author of Hebrews says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's something we have to strive for. It's, it's a continuing effort. It's not just a one-shot deal. It's something we, we strive for. And then he goes on to say, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. Can I just speak to you out of years of walking with people? I've seen some very good people, some very smart people, some very intelligent people, gifted people, get their life tangled up with a root of bitterness. Because somebody did something, somebody said something, something happened, and it was, it was clearly wrong. It was absolutely an offense, sometimes almost an unspeakable one. But here's what happened. If you don't keep coming back, if you don't continue to repeat that process, what can begin to happen over time is that this root of bitterness begins to take hold in your life. And I assure you that a root of bitterness will always, always, always produce fruit of bitterness. And it will not just produce that in this one relationship where there was hurt and offense, but it will begin to produce that fruit in a lot of areas in your life, in a lot of relationships in your life, and it begins to entangle you. That's why we said in the beginning, when you forgive, you set a prisoner free only to discover that the prisoner was me. Attacking that root of bitterness It's not so much about what it'll do for them. It's about what it'll do for you. And I am convinced that some of you are here this morning because God wants to tear out a root of bitterness. He doesn't want that fruit to continue to infect your life and the other relationships of your life. And it may not be a one-step process. It may be something that you have to revisit again and again and again. Many of you may be familiar with the name of Corey Ten Boom. You may know some of her story in the Nazi uh, camps and some of the horrors that were experienced along the way. She's touched many, continues to, through her, her writings And she was writing on one occasion, and she wrote about not being able to forget an offense, a wrong that had been done to her. And she felt like she had forgiven the person, but she just kept rehashing the incident, so much so that she couldn't sleep. And finally, she cried out to God for help, and in her words, that help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor. Let me just read you her words. His help came in the form of a kindly Lutheran pastor to whom I confessed my failure after two sleepless weeks. As he listened, he responded. Up in the church tower, he said, nodding out the window, is a bell which is rung by pulling on a rope. But you know what? After the sexton lets go of the rope, the bell keeps on swinging. First ding, then dong, ding, dong. Slower and 
slower until there's a final dong and it stops. He said, I believe the same is true of forgiveness. When we forgive, we take our hand off the rope. But even though we've taken our hand off the rope, there's still some residual ringing. If we've been tugging at our grievances for a long time, we mustn't be surprised if the old angry thoughts keep coming for a while. But they're just the ding-dongs of the old bell slowing down. And so it proved to be, she wrote. There were a few more midnight reverberations, a couple of dings when the subject came up in my conversations. But the force, which was my willingness in the matter, had gone out of them. They came less and less often, and at last stopped altogether. We can trust God not only above our emotions, but also above our thoughts. Forgiveness always sets a prisoner free, only to discover that the prisoner was me. I think there's some folks that God wants to set free this morning. That doesn't mean everything's going to be perfect, doesn't even mean the relationship will ever be restored or be the same. But it means that God, in his amazing grace, wants to set you free. And that freedom is connected to your willingness to engage in grace-enabled forgiveness. And so I want to just try to drive this home and make it personal. There's some questions there in your guide that I hope will be helpful to you in these moments, but I even desire hopeful to you in the moments ahead. Maybe today it's just about identifying some misconceptions. Misconceptions that you have about forgiveness that maybe have been at work in your life for a long, long time. And maybe today there's just some of God's truth that you need to replace some of those misconceptions with. That's just going to be a huge step forward for you, just to replace some misconceptions with truth. Maybe God's just, even this morning, you already knew maybe before you walked in here this morning, he's brought a face, a name back to your consciousness, somebody that you need to extend forgiveness to. Will you allow God to very specifically bring that name to your consciousness? Maybe there's a relationship that God wants to see reconciled. And maybe you need to take a step as the offender and seek reconciliation with someone maybe you've harmed by your words, by your behavior. And I could do a whole other lesson on the difference between hurt and harm, but let God guide you. Is there a relationship that needs to be restored through genuine repentance, through restitution possibly, and or a rebuilding of trust? Not only forgiveness, but we're going to work toward restoration. And then just very specifically for you before God, what is the next step? When you think about his amazing grace, what is your next step in extending grace to others?
I'm just going to ask you just to bow your heads with me right now. and I'm just going to ask you to take just a moment or two more and allow God to make this very personal for you. And Father, I, I just give voice to prayers for all of us right now. I give voice and ask you, Father, just to, just even now, just to touch us. Touch us anew and afresh with your amazing grace. And Father, just make this, make this very real, very personal, very alive for us. Uh, Father, I, I pray very specifically now, knowing that, uh, that w- with a group of folks uh, this large in this room this morning, Father, that there's probably some folks in here right now, Lord. Maybe they have never responded to your grace. They've never uh, understood your offer of forgiveness extended to them and responded with repentance and faith and, and walking in a new life empowered by you. And Father, I just pray that today would be the day that you would draw them, draw them through your saving grace, draw them to a, a forgiven, reconciled, restored relationship with you that begins now and will extend into eternity. Father, I, I just ask, Lord, would you be their forgiver today? Draw them to you. Father, I pray knowing that we live in a world where we just we, we beat each other up, we, we ding each other, sometimes unintentionally, sometimes with malice. Father, we get, we get beat and bruised. Father, would you just even bring to our mind any relationships that may need a little attention today, may need a little repair. And Lord, as you bring it up, maybe it's some situation we thought about so often. Would you help us just to repeat the process today? Would you help us just to transfer them to you? And Lord, I just even pray that maybe right now you're prompting someone to approach someone else and say, I'm sorry. I need you to forgive me. Maybe there's some pathways of repentance they need to walk, to turn and begin to behave in a different way because you're doing something in their heart. And to do that consistently over time and just entrust to you the the timing for the rebuilding of trust. Father, would you just... Help us to get crystal clear on what the next step of obedience looks like for us before you today. As you just continue to sit before the Lord, we just have a few moments remaining.